Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me now from what I can only assume is a very, very swanky hotel room high atop the city of Houston, uh, my regular counterpart who is on the road with the Toronto Raptors right now. He is public enemy number one around the Toronto Raptors. Eric Green. Eric, how is the trip so far, buddy? Well, I've got a cold or I'm getting a cold and everything in Houston is like 20 minutes away from every other thing. Um... I know you don't like the Arcade Fire. We've been over this, not on the on the podcast, but this is my first time in Houston, and uh, I think the Butler brothers grew up in Houston, and listening to the suburbs and its themes of uh, urban sprawl now make a lot of sense having been here. Uh, I will say the Arcade Fire went up a notch in my book when they did back-to-back nights at the Air Canada Center, uh, performing from inside a wrestling ring. Yes. That's a, uh, that's a good way to win me over. It's a baller move. Uh, the trip is fine. Obviously, the game in Boston was a bit of a uh, poop show and had a lot of people frustrated. Uh, the players, not least among them. Uh, but the season is young, Blake. What was what was the vibe like after the Celtics game or today, uh, today Monday, at, at practice in Houston? Is there some frustration that seems to be setting in what I know Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan and Dwayne Casey towed the party line when it came to DeMar DeRozan, getting that ball on the final possession or bigger picture, getting the ball on, you know, five of those last seven possessions for the same kind of look, whatever the the specific number was, are are they wearing some of that at all? Are they wearing it nearly as much as Raptors Twitter and the fan base at large uh, after after Mm -hmm. losing a very winnable game? Yeah, no, not that much. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think they're frustrated with how they're closing games. I mean, they've lost a few close games to some teams without their best players or some of their best players, uh, whether it was Boston, Washington, they almost came back, uh, San Antonio. Uh, they feel like blown opportunities, and I think they are frustrated with that. But, you know, it's a thing where... A lot of the veterans on this team know the nature of, it sounds like a cliche, but they know the nature of an 82-game season. And they know, especially with what the Raptors are trying to do offensively, there's going to be lots of ups and lots of downs. Uh, after the practice today at the Toyota Center, uh, DeMar DeRozan was sitting with assistant coach Rex Kalamian. And from what I can hear, they were going over some of those final possessions and looking at how the attention was all on DeRozan. Uh, so it's, they're, they're not happy with it, but they're dealing with it productively, which is, you know, the thing to do in times uh, like this. Yeah, it's been, it's been tough. The Raptors stand at what? Six, seven and five, which is a wholly respectable uh, record right now. The issue that I think a lot of people are coming to not only have a couple of these losses been frustrating, um, they're own five against teams that are two games above 500 or higher. Uh, and they are 7-0 against teams that are not that, which is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of what the, uh, a ramped up version of where the Raptors have stood big picture in the last couple of years, where they're, you know, better than a lot of bad teams and not as good as some great teams. Although you would certainly argue that they should be on par with, with the Washingtons and Denvers of the world. Uh, but losses by one point to Boston, four points to San Antonio, five points to Golden State. Uh, the, the Wizards game was nine points, but really that was a one point game with, I think, what, five and a half minutes Three-point, I think, three-point uh, game. 
three-point game. Okay, yep. uh, coming from, you know, down 19 or whatever it was. Um, so it's it's popped up a couple of times. You know, in DeMar DeRozan, Rex Kalamian's defense, you know, DeMar DeRozan has never once faced uh, heavy pressure late in the game. So he had no experience with uh, a situation exactly like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, but this is, this is what we've been talking about, right? Like, it takes a while to break habits. Uh, and and we've seen DeRozan make the pass in certain situations. Like, you remember that game winner from Corey Joseph a few years back. So it's not like he can't. Um, and whether whether or not you want to, when you say part rate, they were uh, towing the party line, how much of that is truth, how much of that is you know, fiction and they're more frustrated than they let on. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think, you know, there, there is some truth to what Dwayne Casey says that it's hard, that a lot of late game offense in the NBA is getting the ball to your best players and having them make decisions. I think you just like the actions that get the balls to the best players to be a bit more complicated maybe, and uh, a bit more intricate, and you'd like those decision-makers to vary up their decision-making. It's funny that DeRozan, you know, is being too shot-happy, and Lowry is probably being too passive right now. Yeah, and, and to your point about wanting the ball in the hands of your best players, like we, if DeRozan passes that up to Fred Van Vliet for an open three and Van Vliet misses the three, I'm sure there's a large chunk of the fan base or the NBA um, sphere at large criticizing DeRozan for not taking the final shot there we saw it you know famously Rudy Gay being chided for overshooting an entire season then kicking to Amir Johnson for an open corner three uh, that Amir Johnson missed and then Rudy Gay you know was was at fault for not shooting a shot in exactly that position so way way um, back when there was also Vince Carter passing up to D Brown in game two of the 2000 Eastern Conference first round against the Knicks Exactly. And to your point about mixing up the ways in which you get those shots, I think that is really at the core of the issue. When you look at, you know, five out of the last seven, it, I might have those numbers wrong. I rewatched the game this morning and I I have five out of seven of the last possessions in my head where it's, um, you know, a simple one screen to try to get DeMar onto the guy they want him attacking. The issue with the Celtics being that a lot of those guys are very good individual defenders. Um, Terry Rozier is the only guy that you could pick uh, a one-on-one size advantage against really to take into the post and they didn't produce that switch. Um, you know, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, J- uh, Jason Tatum, those are not the kind of guys that you go switch hunting against. And because they skew pretty young, the Celtics, in terms of individual defense, uh, you know, the thing to me would seem to be the to make these young guys make decisions and have them read things on the fly rather than just pulling them out and attacking them one-on-one. Um, but to, you know, DeMar DeRozan's point and Kyle Lowry's point after the game, the actual, my, any issue that I had with the game, and I didn't feel super strongly about it because it kind of is what it is for me at this point. And, and, you know, I don't really find the need to wring my hands about it until we start to see signs of a solution. Uh, but it was more that it happened multiple times down the stretch than the actual last shot DeRozan took, which objectively was not a bad shot for DeRozan to get. Jalen Brown conceded as much. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry is obviously going to say this, but that's a shot that Martin DeRozan hits. Uh, a lot. Maybe he doesn't need to do the turnaround, uh, but he got to his spot. He's, I think, just inside the free throw line um, on a on a jumper with good separation and, and no one hanging on him. Um, that look itself was, was mostly fine. Uh, Eric, I, I guess the, the question to ask, the question you can't answer and the Raptors won't be able to answer until they do it regularly. You know, if this comes down to the same situation on Tuesday and they're up one point or down one point, sorry, and there are 10 seconds left, 
Um, do they give DeMar DeRozan the ball again? Is it the same kind of one switch and attack? And, you know, I guess it's not the same question, but do they manage the clock a little better? And, you know, playing from behind there, they played that possession possession like they were um, tied, not like they were up one or down one, sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, those those are unanswerable questions. I think with it fresh in their minds, they would probably look to vary it up a bit. Uh, I mean, what's funny is it sort of worked against New Orleans when they were in the lead for the most part down the stretch. And as they were trying to like erase one and three point deficits, uh, it did not work against the Celtics. Um, but I think, uh, I think I had a salient point to make and I've forgotten it. That's what I think has happened. Uh, which is, which is, yeah, which is, which is suboptimal. Yeah. I have dogs barking in the background, so I'm not sure. No, I I haven't, I have not heard them. Um, but I, I think, I think as the year progresses, it's reasonable to expect some change from the Raptors, but to a degree, they're going to carry this with them. It's just part of their playing and coaching personality. And to expect, uh, you know, a total 180 would be somewhat naive. Uh, and it won't matter anyway, because PJ Tucker will just eat whoever he's guarding. <laughs> yeah, PJ Tucker is the guy they, they miss a little bit right now. Um, you know, I, although the defense has been, you know, at times okay-ish, but they're down to, I think, 15th or 16th in the NBA now while their offense... Yeah. Okay. Uh, while their offense sits at number five, which, you know, heading into the year, that's probably, I think, about what a lot of us pegged for them, that they could be a top five offense, but they might only be around an average defense. Uh, I think the fact that they've shown such good glimpses on defense and not sustain that is perhaps a little frustrating. DeMar DeRozan has gone off the rails after five or six really good games to, by his standards defensively to start the year. Um, now, I think, has the worst defensive rating on the team. Uh, and, and has only produced I think, one steal. I think Jonas Valanciunas. I think Jonas Valanciunas has that. Could be wrong. Okay. Well, you know, either way, we can. Uh, uh, it's you know, semantics. Hey, um, it, yes. Yeah, it is Jonas Valanciunas. Sorry, um, DeRozan is third after Serge Ibaka. Um, I'm I'm not counting Alfonso McKinney here, who I don't think his 11 minutes with a plus 56.2 net rating uh, give his performance a fair shake. He's he's better than a plus 56.2. Net rating player. Oh, and by the way, this is, <laughs> let's let's use Alfonso McKinney as a wonderful pivot point here. Um, in the Boston Celtics game, the Toronto Raptors lost Norman Powell in the first quarter. Uh, he took what everyone originally thought was a, a Aaron Baines knee to the hip and said today was an Al Horford elbow to the hip. How Al yeah. Horford managed to elbow in the hip, I'm, I'm unclear. Um, but anyway, so Norman Powell left the game. The Raptors immediately changed course, call Alfonso McKinney up from Raptors 905 of the G League. Uh, where he'd had a couple of, of pretty good games. Um, Norman Powell was listed as Dwayne Casey called him doubtful. He was off of crutches today. Eric, your feel from practice where Norman Powell's at and how long the Raptors may expect to be without him because, you know, this team could look, he hasn't played exceptionally well and he hasn't been a seamless fit in the starting lineup, but this team might ha- might look pretty different with uh, either of two fill-ins if he's going to miss time. Yeah, he looked a lot better today, and he said uh, part of the reason he looked so bad after the game on Sunday was he had never been on crutches before. Like, he just didn't really know how to – I mean, you know the basics of how to use them, but to walk comfortably 
on them is a different thing. Um, he did not participate in practice. Generally, that's a pretty good indication of whether they play the next day, although it's not a, a perfect predictor. Uh, I would suspect OG Ananobi is going to step in uh, just because he provides a little bit more continuity with and similar traits that Powell has. Obviously, he's you know a better defender and right now a better three-point shooter and just like the best player at everything <laughs> than, than Powell at the moment. Um, but uh, I, I think it'll be him and Miles will continue to come off uh, the bench. But I think at some point, and the 12-man or 11-man rotation complicates this, it's sort of imperative that Miles gets more minutes uh, with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Fewer than a quarter of his 208 minutes, I think, have been with uh, with both of them. And look, it just makes too much sense, particularly late in games, uh, and particularly when you can go offense-defense, uh, for it not to happen. Yeah, that was one of another small issue... It sounds like I had a lot of issue with the way Dwayne Casey managed Sunday's game. It was kind of just a lot of small things, and I think those are magnified when you lose a one-point game. Uh, Fred Van Vliet played well and has played well to the tune of a plus 12.5 net rating, which is second on the team to OG Ananobi. Um, I understand the logic in having him on the floor. You want the extra ball handler. Um, He tries hard and plays smart on defense. Uh, We did see a couple of times, though, where he wasn't able to provide much physicality in terms of help on a Jason Tatum. Uh, And then down the stretch, you know, Fred Van Vliet is a much better three-point shooter than he's gotten to show uh, so far this year. He's hitting only 16.7% of his threes. He's much, much better than that. But late in the game, why is C.J. Miles not on the floor? Even if you have no intention of using him, aside from like J.J. Redick and Kyle Korver, no role player over the last few years in the NBA has had the kind of you know gravitational pull on defenses that could free that DeRozan Lowry two one action uh, up a little bit and prevent some help or, or you know make a guy think twice about showing extra help on DeRozan on one of those elbow pull ups or whatever. Uh, where where is CJ Miles at? Where has CJ Miles been at? You know, big picture, he's averaging just nineteen minutes a game. Yeah. It's, he's 30 years old, and it's the fewest minutes he's played since he was 20 years old, uh, which is quite a thing. Um, I, I think, look, what's happening here is nobody is playing poorly enough to warrant being stuck to the bench. And that's good, but it's also bad in certain ways because... You know, you want players to find rhythm together and you want the lineups that are going to be playing together late in the season to get their reps in now. Um, I think, you know, how do you keep OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam both off the floor? You know, like arguably of those two, Miles and and Norman Powell, Powell's having the worst season so far. Uh, But you don't want to get like shut him down and, and take his confidence away. And with Lowry and DeRozan, and you mentioned, and you mentioned their offensive and defensive uh, efficiency ratings, like Dwayne Casey is a guy who sort of wants some balance out there. And while the shooting would help them offensively, the Raptors as a whole have been having more trouble on that end. And having a Swiss Army knife like Ananobi uh, is very helpful. So it's a complicated situation. I do think it's going to be worked out in time. But 
it needs to be worked out sooner rather than later. No, Eric, it's not a complicated situation. The easy fire Casey, you know, fire everyone, call up Stackhouse. Yeah. A few people pointed out to me how Stackhouse's Raptors 905 ran a play where the best player made a pass yesterday, unlike the Raptors, which have never done that. There is, you know what? I agree with that. And Jerry Stackhouse has always done a great job with that team through a year and change now of um, preaching that sort of ball movement and, and sharing. It does help, though, to be at the G League level where you don't really have a best player. Like the gap between guys at that level is not the same as the gap between DeMar DeRozan and and whomever. Um, you know, Lorenzo, yeah. Lorenzo Brown takes a lot of shots there, but he's shooting like 40% from the floor. And, and you know, anyway, Stackhouse's offense is fun. And it, it, I will say this. If Jerry Stackhouse can get a 500 record out of that, Raptors 905 roster that's been already just decimated this year uh, with losses to the NBA level. Um, someone will need to hire him like the moment the G League season ends because he turned a very good roster last year that lost guys in the playoff run into a championship team. If he can turn what is a much weaker roster into even a 500 team uh, with the amount of turnover and chaos in the G League, um, that'll be, you know, you, you think you can't pat a resume better than a championship, but maybe you can. Yeah, I don't know how closely teams look at what's going on in the G League and assess talent level, but I mean, front offices are just getting smarter and smarter. So you think they'd be able to see the quality of both accomplishments uh, if you know the Raptors nine if Raptors nine hundred five does tread water this year. Uh, anyway. anyway. Enough about enough about Raptors nine hundred five. That's something uh, clearly I only care about. Um, People care about it, but podcast, you know, especially, yeah. uh, especially everybody who wants Jerry Stackhouse to be the Raptors coach. Yeah, those people who have not watched many uh, 905 games. I digress. Yeah. Uh, as you're listening to this, maybe uh, the Raptors now play, play Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock, which I'm already looking forward to 4,000 shrill voices coming off of school buses. And um, yeah, that'll be yeah, while you're sleeping in in your lavish hotel room. Looking out at the <laughs> at the Houston skyline, um, just repeating. I do not just repeating the Kevin I have a view. commercial. Welcome to Houston, baby. Tracy McGrady. That commercial. I have a, Jesus. I have a view of a government building that is dominating the one window I have in a Spring Hill Suites. It is uh, not glamorous. That's not a complaint. It's just. A statement of fact. I'm not at the four seasons. Okay, you're at like the two and a half seasons. I don't know yeah. what Spring Hill States or whatever you said is, so I have no. It's a, it's a fine Marriott property with far too much room. Of course, it's a Marriott property. Uh, yeah. Um, what is it? <laughs> Look, yeah, it's the uh, what's that? No, Star Alliance is the planes a lot. Is uh, flight. Uh, Alliance. What's I have no idea. What's the Marriott? Okay. Anyway, this yeah, is this is not okay. I have one more question for you on Fred Van Vliet. NBA beat writer Minutia. Yeah, not even, and you know, I guess I qualify as a beat writer, but I don't travel, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. One more question for you. Again, he's been good. I like Fred Van Vliet. I think it's pretty clear from my writing at the Athletic Toronto that I like Fred Van Vliet as a player and a, a member of this team. Him closing games. A little curious. Also curious. A he is kind of 
played it not even with DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright's played about 100 more minutes over 12 games. Uh, but he has started to see, you know, DeLon Wright will get the hook first. DeLon Wright comes in first, but that's shifted some of those minutes with Kyle Lowry to Fred Van Bleet. Uh, DeLon Wright, I don't know. I've got the sense the last couple games that maybe the team isn't super thrilled with how he's playing relative to how um, some viewers, including myself, have thought he's playing. Do you have a feeling on, on DeLon Wright? Because it, it does, it seems weird well, that he I, hasn't I, got minutes with Lowry much. Yeah, I think his play level has come down a little bit from from the start. Okay. Uh, I think he was he was just everywhere at the start, and, and he hasn't been quite that uh, so or more recently. But it's incremental. I, I I don't get a good feel on it for the team uh, from the team's perspective. I think in Boston's case, they just wanted maybe a grimy, more physical defender versus like getting in passing lanes type defender uh, because Terry Rozier was creating some problems for them. Uh, the untradeable Terry Rozier. Um, and it's, you know, we talk uh, like it's difficult. I think the Raptors really need to shorten their rotation. They need to get it down to like 10 maximum. Yeah, so this is something we talk but about. You, you can, but you can see the arguments for like everybody and they're not just like, flimsy arguments like aside from maybe van vliet who i'd probably have the easiest time right now uh giving the short straw like these are players who have performed in in different ways and you need their skill sets at different times yeah there's no question about that and van vliet obviously the team feels differently if he's closing games he's not the 12th guy in that pecking order Uh, i was hesitant to bring up the rotation because the depth of the rotation because we talked about it last week but i like at some point you have to just bite the bullet and cut a guy or two from this mix because I mean, man, it kills me that like you're limiting, you're limiting your access to information about your own team too. And how these lineups work together and how they'll perform against different styles of looks. Uh, We've still seen obviously Kyle Lowry's minutes being the lowest they've been in years is a worthwhile end. Uh, But we haven't seen like really any of a Lowry and bench unit with any consistency um, and those have usually been very punchy, and they'll definitely be used come playoff time. Uh, it would be nice to get this thing down to 10, maybe even 9 for some stretches. Um, so uh, under the assumption, say Van Bleet were to be bumped, uh, are you? can you make a pick between Pirtle and Noguera at this point? Are we, are we finally going to have our first disagreement? Our first, like, serious disagreement? Um, I think... I think I'd roll with Pirtle right now. You, you traitor. Um, yeah, I. But we've had this discussion, right? Like, it's ceiling uh, versus Bebe floor. has has the, yeah yeah he has a higher ceiling. Pirtle has the lower floor, but you can just even though like he Negrera's numbers were like actually fairly strong in terms of net in the net rating plus minus uh, yesterday. Uh, he was also sort of emblematic of the problems they were having uh, on the glass. Uh, and and really, that's the biggest concern with this team, and Dwayne Casey's totally right when he says this, is the inability to, and it sounds, again, very cliche, but to establish a slightly more physical identity 
because their half-court defense has been pretty good, but they're getting run out on transition, and there's a, every third or fourth game they're getting killed on the glass, and that's hurting their numbers. And, you know, if you take away a lot of those, you know, second-chance points and, you know, the Tatum and Brown layups that, that happened in the first half, uh, the Raptors probably win that game fairly easily. Now, you can say that about every game, sort of. Like, there's always, you know, flaws in a team's game plan, uh, except when the Nuggets played the Raptors. Uh, or not game plan, Execution. but uh, performance. Although, Mike Malone uh, but, tell you yes, that fourth quarter it, defense in a 30, with a 30-point lead was <laughs> not where it needed to be. Yeah. I, I want to I give you a stat, and I want to see how much it surprises you. So I know you're aware of Lucas Ogura's yeah. positive impact in terms of net rating. He has the best net rating of any center on the team at plus 7.6 uh, points per 100 possessions. And the Raptors do not rebound especially well with him on the floor. He The, the team has the worst uh, of any individual player. The rebound percentage is the worst when Lucas Ogura is on the floor. However, somewhat paradoxically, of the three centers on the team, the Raptors have the best defensive rebounding rate when Lucas Ogura is on the floor. And the loss that he's provided has been entirely at the offensive end. Um, are you surprised to learn that they have a 77.8% defensive rebounding rate with Bebe on the floor? Yes. Me too. I. Who is getting those rebounds? I would guess <laughs> because he spent some time with Pascal Siakam, who's probably their best rebounding four. Um, that's, that's a bit of the boost. Yeah, Lowry maybe when he was having some of those big rebound games. Yeah, I would have to, I would have uh, to do a deeper that's, dive. That's pretty weird, and I imagine we'll uh, we'll get some uh, will yeah, reverse there's, there's course. Some noise as, there. But as it's weird because I felt like whenever Noguera's on the floor, that's a that's a big thing the team is struggling with. Um, but it has not really been the case Yet. numbers wise. Which was interesting. Anyway, this is why you look at these numbers sometimes because our eyes aren't always the best, and the numbers aren't always. No, no. I I was told. Yeah, I was told today when I tweeted some stat out that the eye test was is greater than uh, efficiency. Uh, so I'm glad we're still having these, you know, black or white arguments in 2017. Look, uh, a certain baseball writer at a site that is not our site. Um, had a meltdown the other day about a site that, you know, rates baseball players Hall of Fame cases quantitatively. And it was uh yeah. I don't even know what you're I don't even know what you're talking about. We'll have to talk yeah, about this just after. Just people the melting down about discussions that I thought we all settled in like two thousand ten. But yeah, anyway, if you're just looking at the numbers, that's probably a problematic approach. If you're just trusting your eyes to, you know, take on to take in what eleven different interacting pieces are doing in real time, uh, probably also a flawed approach. A lot of info out there. Don't throw any of it out. Well, you can throw some of it out. But, uh, I mean, yes. Uh, Look, the Raptors are going to be fine. Big picture, like, there I mean, there are things to worry about, and the offense bears, you know, monitoring, especially late in games. Because that's sort of the one thing that has really changed about this team or that they've talked about changing about this team. But they're like they're just too deep and too good not to have a very good regular season. 
uh, or a good regular season. Whether that translates in the playoffs, I think like we both have some doubt, and fans should have some doubt. Uh, but this team is going to be fine after 82 games. There's there's also this matter, and like this this won't make anyone feel better because you know this doesn't help when it comes to preparing yourself for the playoffs and figuring out how the team might look in April. Once this trip is done, easiest schedule in the NBA the rest of the way um, by quality of opponent and by miles traveled. So, you know, things they have played yeah. a particularly tough slate with that six game West Coast trip that I know they went three and three on. Um, but you know, it hasn't been the easy. And this this as a three game trip. Boston, Houston, New Orleans in four days is not especially easy either. Yeah. Uh, before, I have a bad feeling. Before the first. Uh, I was just saying, I have a bad feeling about where we, where this discussion may be if they come back at seven and seven after dropping a, a back-to-back in Houston and New Orleans. Yeah, it was funny. I was talking to somebody with the team before the first New Orleans game. Sources. And, uh, and he was saying that two and two out of that four-game stretch would be a win. And I think you look at it and you can't say otherwise. I mean, he did it. Uh, that was before Kyrie Irving's injury. Uh, but you know, the Raptors were going to be, I'm not sure what the line ended up, ended up being yesterday, uh, but they were going to be favorites in only one of those games. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and you know, they're not going to be favored in Houston and they probably won't be favored in new Orleans on a back to back. Oh. No, they were they were dogs against they were two and a half point dogs against Boston, even with Irving. And uh, yeah, so, they Boston lost by one a, point. Boston's won twelve in a row. Boston's won twelve in a row. They missed Marcus Morris for like nine of those games. I think they missed Al Horford for a couple. They missed Kyrie for a couple. Um, I think Marcus Smart missed one or two. Um, they are, you know, they're pretty good right now, even without Kyrie or without Gordon Hayward or whatever. They're quite. Good. They're really good defensively, like. They're so physical and versatile. Uh, it's amazing that, you know, you can use lose Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley and, like, go up a level. But, hey, you build, you keep on getting assets and you keep on nailing the small things and you've got a shot. Yeah, that's a – I mean, it's a good place to – it's a good place to have yourself in uh, if you're Boston where, you know, you've weathered I, – Gordon Hayward's not coming back anytime soon, but you've at least – taking the opportunity to solidify an identity uh, and build from there. And, you know, they're 17th in offense right now. Um, it were Hayward to come back at any point, I'd, which I don't know if there have been any suggestion that he might, you know, he'd help on both ends. So, uh, and Kyrie being back yeah. pushed their offense higher, theoretically. Um, let's turn it back to the Raptors. Uh, they have, they're in Houston, they're in New Orleans. Uh, if there's one positive about the Raptors lately, maybe it's that the three-point percentage has started to nudge upward. They're now shooting 33.5% on threes, which is um, not great. It's 27th in the NBA, but they were 30th not very long ago. Uh, they've fallen to 11th in attempts, but when you when you yeah. control for uh, pace that's and the, the fact that the Raptors get to the free throw line a ton, uh, they're still sixth in share of field goal attempts that are coming from beyond the three-point line. Um, Eric, the ball movement has decreased some from the early part of the year. Uh, they've lost some of the pace that they were playing with. Early on, particularly uh, with the starting lineup and the DeRozan plus bench lineups as games have gone on. Uh, but the three-point shooting has at least, you know, I think they're comfortable at around 31 three-point attempts a game if they stay at this pace. Uh, I think they're comfortable sniffing 34% from three-point range. Do you have any, this this podcast is skewed exceptionally negative as we are wont to do. 
Uh, do you have any positives to take from the last couple of games or, you know, things that you're going to look to carry them Tuesday and Wednesday in this tough back-to-back? Well, I mean, they're probably going to have to make those three-pointers again in Houston. Uh, you have to be careful not to get into, you know, a, a game, particularly where you're turning it over because their transition defense has been pretty bad. But you're going to have to score a lot of points to beat Houston probably. Uh, but I think like that the three-point percentage going up is comforting because, you know, the thing that is going to take longer probably is you know, DeRozan and Lowry adjusting to this thing that is new to them in this context. So if the three-point shooting can level out a bit and all of a sudden you have C.J. Miles, who's obviously a very good high-volume shooter, but you have a bunch of other shooters there who, you know, are around league average, uh, and you have Lowry and DeRozan get on the same page like you're already looking at the fifth most efficient offense in the league i think you know that's a pretty promising you know that might be a glass half full view of things but i think it's not without merit like i think that's a a totally it's totally plausible that these two sort of moving parts can uh come together at one point and and result in a more productive offense as for the defense i mean it's just sort of about limiting what happens in transition and cleaning up the glass and i think the nature of an 82 game season is you're going to be bad at those things sometimes and it's like you know you talk about playing a 48 minute game or an 82 game season like no team is ever good for 48 minutes pretty much and there are going to be those nightmare nights on the glass but they need to find a way to uh, limit those, certainly, because they've come up a few too many times. Uh, and the turnovers, uh, you know, the lack of turnovers is one of the things that has helped the offense in past years. And you don't want to totally lose that in in the transformation. One more positive for you heading into Tuesday night's game, which Norman Powell is doubtful for. The starting lineup with OG Ananobi in Norman Powell's place has played 18 minutes and 17 seconds together. With a plus 23.9 mark. So, there you go. Take that, Houston. Are you suggesting he'll start? Uh, Ananobi? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, he's The fact that he started the second yeah. half. Yeah, no, that's my guess, too. But, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see CJ Miles in that spot. But I think they like him being the bench dad and, and all that stuff. So, I don't know. It's temporary. Yeah. Norm Powell will go back to the starting lineup after anyway. So, uh, Although, you know. You could make the case that maybe, you could make the case that maybe that uh, isn't the right call, but that's probably we're probably still at a point where we need a larger sample for the starting five to figure out yeah. how fits and, and how best to use Powell, Miles, or Ananobi. We didn't even talk about Jonas Valanciunas today. No, I mean Jonas Valanciunas is uh, we've had all those conversations a bunch of times. Yes, yes, I, I'm just noting it. Yeah, that, that, that's all. Good guy, Jonas Valanciunas, you know? Hmm. I mean, sure. Yeah, I just mean, like, I don't know. I always kind of feel bad about the Jonas Valanciunas discourse because, like, he just very much is what he is, and then everyone goes so haywire at both ends about it. And Yeah. He's just kinda, and know, he wants so – yeah, he wants so badly to be good, too. Yeah. I, I mean, he already is good, but to be more than he has been – 
early in his career and, you know, getting to the midway point of his career. Um, and he just has some limitations. And so it goes. All right, Eric, one more thing we need to talk about before I let you go and we bring on Caitlin for Riverdale Reasonableist. Um, I think it's complete. I don't know. I don't want to swear on the podcast. I'm not happy that we have no good place until the new year. Horse poop. Complete horse poop. Bullshirt. Bullshirt. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not happy about no good place for a couple weeks. Blame football. Blame football for a lot of stuff. Football is uh, not to get all please like my sport because I like all the sports, but oh man. Yeah. Costing us uh, TV I'm, now and the sake of bad TV. Yeah, and Thursday night football is always particularly bad. Yeah, it's look, I love the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm glad they're having a good year and winning some ugly football games. Uh, the fact that they get like a Thursday night game every year tells you everything you need to know about Thursday night football. My brother, a diehard Bills fan, came to Boston this weekend uh, to meet up with his younger brother and. Uh, I got some kick out of yelling uh, Doug Marone, leader of men, at him yeah. uh, and seeing what the reaction was. I- I'll have to oh, poor... on that one. I did not like that hire. So. Well, there's time for it to go wrong. Don't worry. Oh, of course there is. Okay, Eric, um, enjoy the rest of the trip. You'll be – Raptors are home next week, right? Friday. Friday they're home. They're home. For... Oh, they're home Friday, Saturday. I, I was thinking ahead to recording – uh, but you 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 won't go on the next trip that three game one will you the Atlanta no. one against, no. uh, the trio of terrible teams no it's boring I don't want to go I love Atlanta though I'll go like like the city yeah yeah Atlanta's fine I think Atlanta okay uh, Eric man enjoy the rest of your trip thank you so much for making time I'll from turn. your hotel like I assume you did this whole thing from the the rooftop hot tub. Uh, and you're just like eating caviar on every on every break. So you enjoy yourself, and thank you so much for making time. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back after this with Caitlin McGrath and Riverdale Reasonableist. Riverdale, 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 Riverdale. Hey, welcome back. We're here with Caitlin McGrath for Riverdale Reasonableist. Caitlin, it's been two weeks. We've had so much Riverdale. We've had so much time apart. Uh, first, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I don't know if I'll be better or worse when Riverdale ends for this season. Uh, it's a constant source of, I don't know, is entertainment the word? It makes me, I don't know. I, I think I think at this point, the show is more entertaining for the conversations that I have after the fact with people about the show. Uh, we have a lot to catch up on in a very short time here. Uh, two weeks ago, Caitlin, I promised people that we would make a prediction as to who is the Black Hood. Uh, we don't have a lot of information to go off of here, but we promised the people. Uh, so, Caitlin, who's the Black Hood? Well, I have. I had a working theory, but there's some holes in it. And I, a, There are holes in every theory that I've heard, so don't feel bad about that. Okay, well, there's serious holes in this theory, and I also don't think that Riverdale is the type of show that would do this, but... My working theory is that it is Betty and she's having some kind of like psychotic break and like these phone calls aren't actually happening in reality. They're all in her mind. And so that's why when she went to the abandoned house, like she wasn't on the phone. It was like she put on the mask and it was her. And 
Yeah, but <laughs> now, now is your basis for this that we've already seen Dark Betty and that Dark Betty kind of lost herself in Dark Betty and didn't realize that was going on? Like it's a kind of disassociative yeah. thing here. Yeah, like I feel like we've seen um, a different side to Betty, and that Betty hasn't really come back since that sort of arc in the first season. And I always kept waiting for that to come back in some way. And so I'm not, but the thing with Riverdale is that it's also a teen show and it sometimes does drop certain like plot devices or it, it drops certain character traits just to like sort of fit the show better um, in the direction that they're going at the moment. So that's why I say I'm not sure if Riverdale is the type of show that would really do that. Um, You'd also run into the fact that if it's, if it's going to go more seasons, um, you're out a main character. Well, yeah. Or like she gets sent to get help and then comes back or something like that. The only, like the major hole in my theory is that we do see Archie like hearing the phone call so if we're to believe that that actually happened and like Archie is like listen to the phone call then my theory doesn't really work the only also way Archie's work- also Archie saw the the guy like shoot his dad but they could easily write around that yeah well Archie said like it was a guy and I don't even know if Betty has green eyes so um there are like things that they could have they'd have to write around and I'm pretty I like I'm almost certain my theory is not correct because I don't think they're going to do this and I don't think they're actually going to make Betty like this like psychotic serial killer who's like having like weird like mind trips yeah um, I, I do think it would be the most interesting <laughs> I think it's it's too like something that would happen on like um a really complicated like Netflix show um, like a Stranger Things type thing or like an HBO show that was sort of like planning um, the whole series as like as a whole. Um, whereas I think the way that teen shows like Riverdale work, they don't quite work like that. They sort of just go along with um, storylines per season and they kind of like build off and like go in different directions and stuff like that. So I think that my theory is it's not gonna happen but i would i would that's basically i have that theory because i don't know who it could be or, or i don't have any other ideas so maybe you should share your theory or your idea of who the black hood is uh okay so i will say i uh i like your theory i think it's one of the most interesting theories that i've heard and i think you could write around you know maybe archie didn't see what maybe archie didn't see because you know he, his brain couldn't see like I don't know. I've heard of things like that before, especially in TV shows or movies where, you know, the stress of a situation has people remember things incorrectly, or maybe she has an accomplice, you know, uh, maybe it's one of the, (laughs) some weird teacher or something like that. Uh, My theory, and this is based on not much. um, I think it's Betty's brother. We know that Betty has a brother. Um, He's an older brother. Um, We know that the Cooper family has a history of, if not mental illness um their parents being quick to throw anything they don't like out as uh, mental illness um so you know he could be off somewhere 
um, you know, wherever they sent Pauly, uh, something like that. So we haven't, I don't think we've seen him on the show yet, but we know he exists because there's a flashback where like Betty's parents uh, find out they're pregnant. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. not, I, I, they, they make it, they certainly make it seem like they go the abortion route. Um, but like, we don't no, know. I, I feel like they say outright that she has a brother. Okay. I don't ask, I don't really remember if they say it or not, but like they definitely, she definitely had, they've established that he has, she has a brother. Yeah. Yeah. I think they put it up for adoption or something like that. Okay. And it's Polly's twin brother. No, it wouldn't be twin because they had it before. Right. Um, older. Okay, yeah, the older brother. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so whatever. Anyway, I think, you know, the the only characters really within the universe that might fit uh, is Sheriff Keller. Like, he might be the only person that we know that might fit. And I might only be thinking that because, as someone pointed out to me, um, he has green eyes and there aren't a lot of characters with green eyes. Uh, but I think Betty's brother, you know, it makes sense why he's choosing Betty, why he's getting back at the mom. Um, you know, there's some family history of weirdness like that. And it could go to a really interesting place where um, Betty has to like, you know, everyone knows she's involved now, but she has to kind of cover it up because she doesn't want her brother to go away. Yeah. So I don't know. And I also, this is a spoiler of some sort, I guess. I don't know if people consider this a spoiler. Like they've definitely cast someone to be her brother. So we know that the brother is coming in at some point. Okay, so whether um, that, was like, that, was like not a, that was like not a secret in between seasons, like it was publicized that they had cast a, a person. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, that's my theory that's right a, now. Yeah, that's a good theory. The one hole that I can poke immediately, but I also think you could write around this was that when she asked him, "Would I recognize you?" And he said yes, which makes you think it's somebody she knows, like somebody from the town. Unless but they just all- look alike. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Like that, he could have just uh, been implying they look alike, so he would, she would recognize him because he looks like her. So I feel like your theory theory makes a lot of sense in terms of like how they would write it and how it would sort of fit with the narrative. Except for the Miss Grundy thing, that that's still kind of an outlier in terms of why she was targeted, just because she sort of left the town. Yeah. But any, anyway, that just that doesn't really fit a lot of theories because it just seemed kind of random, and it that was sort of when the show seemed to be going in a direction where this was all about like Archie, and then now they flipped it, and it seems to be more about Betty. Yeah, she doesn't fit. You know, the Miss Grundy thing doesn't fit the profile really unless it was archie related i guess like tangentially the person might know betty well enough to know that she was hurt by the miss grundy stuff and that was like a revenge thing more than a bigger picture message thing i don't know um anyway i feel like we delivered on our promise to at least give some theories (laughs) yeah how much much of the season is left do you know um no but it seems to be the trend now that shows like this have like a fall slash winter finale and then they have a bit of a break and then they come back and they do another like sort of eight episodes or whatever it is. Um, I don't know which episode this was. I think it was. This last week's was episode five. Five. And we know okay. we're, we have another one this week. They're off for... Um, I think the 22nd is American Thanksgiving. 
that week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're back for one. And we know the season goes 13 episodes, but we don't have dates for the last six episodes of the season. So you might be right. They might only go till the 29th, take December off, yeah. and then come back in the spring. Yeah, like that seems to be the trend of what shows do now. Like they all like want to have a big like kind of fall finale and then they come back and they have like another six episodes. The cliffhanger cliffhanger they're going to leave us on. Yeah, like I feel like we're going to get one big cliffhanger coming up in the next like episode or so. um, And then they'll do, they'll like leave us on that. So I don't know if the cliffhanger would be we find out who the Black Hood is is or if we just get like a major clue or if somebody else dies that would be like yeah. my idea we've got two episodes to get there um so caitlin we'll bring you back on next week and then i guess we'll take a week off from riverdale reasonableness while the show's off <laughs> and then uh yeah and then we'll i mean who knows maybe we'll have to do a side episode once we take this break and bring dom on the podcast or something too um and yeah, just we go have like you a know, just, episode yeah, I'm sure. That, look, I don't know how many people still enjoy this segment of the show, but there's there are one or two people who complain about it being on every week. And to those people, if you're still listening 11 minutes into the segment that comes at the end of the podcast, um, you know, I think you're enjoying it more than you're letting on. Kind of the way mm-hmm. Eric feels about Riverdale. He keeps watching yeah. it every week. I think he actually said this was a decent episode, which is like high praise from Eric. Um, okay, Caitlin. Well, you have a, a great week. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. If only to be a reasonable man.